Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. Uh, today, I have a couple of special guests joining me. Uh, Ashton Herring's here, our community outreach coordinator here at MCHD. And we also have Dr. Lisa Owens, who is senior faculty at Baylor College of Medicine and the medical director for the neonatal intensive care unit at TCH in the Woodlands. Thank you all for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. Today, we're going to talk about safe sleep and what safe sleep looks like, what some recommendations around safe sleep, and really why safe sleep is important to us as paramedics. And admittedly, this is something that's uh, outside of, of my wheelhouse as an emergency practitioner, but as oftentimes we are as, as EMS and emergency providers, we see in sort of inside patients' front doors, literally, and we're uh, parts of the public health system and educators, and this is a topic I think could easily be ignored, but we really get to see patients and parents' habits, and that's a perfect spot to really to be an educator, and I think we'll talk more about that as the podcast moves along, but Dr. Owens, first off, how did you become a safe sleep champion? Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got here, literally and figuratively in the seat talking to us. Well, as a critical care doctor, safe sleep wasn't necessarily on my radar, but I served on the um, femur board, which is our fetal and infant mortality review committee in my previous job in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And what I found is about every single month, a baby died, full-term healthy baby in an unsafe sleep environment. So one a month uh, or more, and it began to make me question, why is this happening? Why are people, you know, this, these are children that shouldn't have died. What can we do to affect that? So I got involved in safe sleep education. I um, received training at the NICHD um, and became the safe sleep champion for the state of Oklahoma. Then I moved to Texas. So now I ask myself, are we having the same issues with infants dying at home in unsafe sleep environments here as well? And according to Montgomery County statistics, it's the number one cause of death in children under 18. That's that's huge. That's I mean, as a someone who's not necessarily up to date on this on this data, I think if any of our paramedics out there are listening and wondering if this topic is important, that should shoot it to number one on their list. Would you agree, Ashton? Oh, I definitely agree. Tell tell the listeners a little bit about your role at MCHD in safe sleep and sort of why you're in your chair today. Sure. So. Um a few years ago, I started sitting on our child fatality review team. And as outreach coordinator, my purpose on that team was really to look at what is causing death in children in Montgomery County and how can we target our outreach initiatives to address those. Um, so we have a fantastic car seat program. We do water safety, but when you really put the pen to the paper, there are more children dying from, from sleep-related emergencies than there are any other preventable death in Montgomery County. Uh, as many, actually more than 35 since 2016. So we're looking at a few deaths a year from other preventable uh, injuries and 35 just in three years. Yeah, if, you think about, if you think about one a month, if uh, you know 12, 12 kids in a minivan were killed once a year, we'd figure out why the minivan was unsafe and we'd put a stop to it. I think you know drowning gets a lot of summertime recording here in the summertime, so drowning gets a lot of summertime publicity, uh, but just from the stats we've just heard, sleep should move up your list pretty quickly. So let's start with some basics, Dr. Owens. What does a safe sleep environment look like? How do we foster that environment? And I think we know why it's important, but what are some what are some things that our paramedics, when we go into houses, not necessarily for sleep emergencies, let's say we're going in for a, a febrile seizure or a baby rolled off a bed or 
some other non-related issue. What does a safe sleep environment look like and how can we sort of watch for that and see that? And I guess the flip side is what does an unsafe environment look like as well? That's an interesting question. Um, a safe sleep environment is one where the infant is on a solid, firm mattress in a crib without any pillows, blankets, bumpers, anything with a flat mattress with no extra blankets. We encourage people using just a sleeper or a wearable blanket uh, rather than trying to swaddle them or wrap them in blankets. That's ideal. It's flat on their back in a sleeper with no pillows or blankets around them in their bed alone. Um, Adult beds or toddler beds are not appropriate um, environments for babies. Parents holding babies on recliners and couches are particularly dangerous because they can fall asleep and the children can fall off and become wedged under the pillows um, and suffocate that way. What I have found in listening to investigations of sleep-related deaths at home, what they find is it's not a lack of cribs. The parents have a crib in the home, but the crib is being used to store diapers or toys, and it's not the sleep place for the infant. The infant's sleeping in the adult bed or in the bed with their siblings. So it, cribs are there. They're just not being utilized. That's, I'm going to not comment on some of my children's sleep positions. Mine are 11, 13, and 15, and I probably would have gotten a C minus or worse as a, as a sleep father. So that's, so in other words, recliner, couch, big bed, those things are all big X marks and we should be using the crib, not cluttered, single blanket at, at the most. And again, I, I'm assuming that those other additive things are just things that can contribute to asphyxia and other types of injuries. Is that, would that be correct? What happens um, in an adult bed, or it can be in a bed with a sibling, when there's another person in bed with the baby, obviously um, we don't sleep on a flat mattress with no pillows or blankets. So when you put a child in that environment, uh, the pillows can get over their face, the blanket can come over their face, that we can have what's called an overlay injury, meaning the parent or other sibling rolls over on top of the baby's face. Uh, I think a lot of people think, oh, if I rolled over on my baby, I would know it and I would wake up. But statistics would say that you don't. You're tired and having a newborn baby is exhausting and they're tiny and they don't roll around. They don't move around. You're not going to wake up if you if you roll over onto your infant. Um, like I said, again, recliners and couches are dangerous places to hold your baby if you're tired at all. Because if you do fall asleep, they, they easily get um, slip over into a corner and get suffocated by a pillow. Also in adult beds, I've seen strangulation injuries that the child fell off the bed and head got wedged between the bed and the wall, and they basically hung themselves. So adult beds are very, very dangerous for babies. So uh, you've answered a little bit of, of question two, but I'm going to let you expand on it a bit. How do these patients present? I, there's more than just the mother, the father, or siblings rolling over on, on the baby. And from an EMS setting treatment standpoint, what are some sort of focus areas uh, when, if we're speaking directly to our paramedics out there listening. I know that the paramedic's job and the most important thing to them at the time when they arrive on the scene is to resuscitate the baby. That's the most important thing. But if people would just take a minute and observe, because the, the problem with trying to investigate what happened in sleep-related death is the crime scene's always disturbed. You know, the baby's been sometimes by the parents taken out of wherever they were found and placed on the floor and CPR has begun sometimes by the parents. Um, if the paramedic could look around and see how was, or ask, how was the baby found? What bed was the baby in? You know, just so that they can get an idea of um, what the circumstances were surrounding that, because you, you probably aren't going to find the baby in the position where they were found when you arrive on the scene. So if there's any, and it's helpful, I think, to the doctors for them to know, you know, was the baby in the bed? What, were there pillows and blankets there? You know, just to get an idea of, of was this a suffocation versus was this a child abuse case or was this just a case of sudden infant death? 
that leads us right into our next question. How do sleep-related deaths differ from SIDS? Probably about 15 years ago, any infant who died at home was called SIDS. They just did. There was not really any looking into this or investigating this. But over the last few years, people have, a lot of people in the United States are interested in this. This is not just to our area or in Oklahoma. This is across the whole United States. The, the rates of infant deaths at home has not gone down. The rate of SIDS has gone down, but the rate of suffocation deaths has gone up. And that's the classification system that we're now using, um, looking at what were the circumstances surrounding the baby. A sudden infant death is an infant who, for no other reason that we can find, suddenly dies at home. In their crib on their back, found dead. That's a SIDS if there's no other explanation. And nobody really knows what causes that. There's lots of theories about is it a heart irregularity? Is it something from the brain? Nobody knows what that is. But that, very, very uncommon. The most common thing is suffocation that causes an infant to die. What's hard for the forensic pathologist, um, the codes that dictate how they determine cause and, and manner of death, um, I think are now expanding. So there's still a lot of inconsistencies in how those are being recorded. So now, like just as she said, that diagnosis of exclusion. So when there's no other thing, they can say, this is SIDS. But when you see an adult in a, an, a ch- an infant in an adult sleeping environment or with another sibling, now they can add those uh, co-sleeping or sleep-related factors in that cause of death. So that's helping us as, um, as injury prevention and physicians and all of us that are out there trying to prevent these deaths. It's helping us target that messaging to say, this is what's causing. Yeah, if you lump everyone into a SIDS diagnosis, you're not going to increase your educational awareness, your educational uh, resources to safe sleeping. You're going to just say, oh, well, nothing we could have done about that. Let's, you know, that's really sad. And let's keep talking about drowning or car seats or firearm safety or whatever it may be. As opposed to if the paramedic asks the right question or uses their just general observational skills and says, wait a minute, the child was in the recliner with dad who was 6'2 to 60 and that's the original starting point for this. Maybe it's sleep as opposed as opposed to sudden sure. infant death syndrome. Documentation is so helpful in the death investigations or just the clinical course of, of these patients. And SIDS is not preventable, but this is. Suffocation deaths are preventable. And I think if we allow the parents to, I mean, we had a hesitation for our pathologists in Tulsa, did not want to put co-sleeping or unsafe sleep environment on the death certificate because they felt like the parents would feel guilty. Well, but if you don't tell them the reason why their child died, they may do it again. They may suffocate another infant. If they know what happened, maybe they can tell other people. I mean, these are preventable deaths that happen every year. There's no reason why these infants die. If we don't investigate and classify them properly, we can't do anything for prevention. The CDC does have a tool, a data collection tool for the pathologist to use. It's not required, it's not mandatory, and it's cumbersome. So they are working on data collect, trying to make this easier so that we can standardize it across the United States what is actually classified as sleep-related death versus SIDS. We're very fortunate here in Montgomery County. Our forensic pathologist is the bomb, uh, Dr. Paneri. Um, a shout out to her. So she's been very helpful. Um, she's incredibly thorough and she tries um, to work very hard to keep up with um, what's current in the safe sleep diagnoses. Well, as I was thinking through this, just prepping for today mentally and, and thinking about uh, the questions that you, you sent me, Ashton. One of the things before I, you know, outline any of our episodes, you know, here at the podcast is how is the uh, street paramedic here at MCHD or other paramedic listeners, you know, how can I relate this to them? How can we make this useful to them? And really the point that I keep coming back to mentally is that we are going to be in people's homes for multitudes of other reasons besides safe sleep and sleep injuries, right? These 
are not super common. Uh, they're devastating when they occur, but we're in people's homes for every other reason under the sun. Like we, you know, febrile seizure, uh, traumatic injuries, burns, uh, you know, ear infections, cellulitis, you name it, all the, all the reasons that we run on paramedic patients. And we're going to see, incidentally, these environments. And, and that's the perfect entry point, I feel like, to be able to have a little bit of this education and to be able to tactfully uh, talk to parents and talk to, you know, grandparents and siblings and aunts and uncles about, hey, you notice that, you know, that bumper or all those blankets there, or, you know, that, you know, I, I saw your napping in the, in the recliner. Um, how are some ways, Dr. Owens, that you, when you talk to patients, a lot of this, you know, you say the same things over and over to patients, just like we do as emergency physicians, just like Ashton does as a paramedic. And I, I found, you know, over my career that, that scripting is vitally important. If you say the same thing over and over, figure out how to say it best and, and get that down. What are some ways that you can talk to parents, just kind of tagging on to your last comment? You know, we don't want to be judgmental, but we want to provide proper education. What, what are some good ways that you do that in your experience that, that parents are receptive and not offended? Because that's a kind of a tough line to walk, I think. Well, I like to use the example of, because what happens is they're, you know, Parents receive information from a lot of people. So when we talk to them about safe sleep, about the baby being in the crib, the parent, you know, their grandparents say, well, you slept with me and you're fine. Or the neighbors say, and you know what I say to that is, well, when I was a kid, we didn't have seatbelts in cars either. We didn't wear seatbelts. There weren't seatbelts in cars, but we know better now. So we do better. We know that this is dangerous. So now, um, you know, we, we, this is, this is what we recommend now. And, you know, of course, there's lots of kids that rode in cars without seatbelts and didn't die, but there's a lot of them that did die that went through the windshield or, (laughs) you know, so um, as we know know more we do better um and i i mostly emphasize not falling asleep in recliners or couches and and try to also tell them that you know co-sleeping is dangerous a lot of moms are breastfeeding they're going to fall asleep with their babies i mean that's you know but but the recliner and couch are so dangerous much more so than anything else just because there's it's just so easy for it to happen yeah and, and just thinking you know smartphones are ubiquitous we've all got the alarm and the reminders right beside us I think if you're going to breastfeed or you want to watch the end of the Texans game in your recliner with your infant, I know I've done that and been awake and planning to not fall asleep, but I can, I don't have many talents, but I can fall asleep in a snap. So, I mean, even just using things like reminders and, and alarms maybe uh, could be, you know, beneficial advice. I think also knowing the stats and knowing this is the, the most common cause of death in this age group. I think that provides you with another sort of arrow in your quiver when you're trying to stress the importance to parents because everybody, you know, freaks out over, you know, make sure your kid's in a car seat, right? That's, that one is one that, you know, even when they're not installed properly, people oftentimes are still trying. And I think if you ask the, the regular, you know, lay, lay folk out there, which one's a bigger problem, car trauma versus sleep, I think you probably would get the wrong answer a lot of times. I might have answered incorrectly if you'd asked me five minutes before we, we sat down to discuss this one. So... Besides adult beds, recliners, blankets, the things we've already talked about, what are some other risk factors for sleep-related deaths? Are there other things that child, from, from a child standpoint, as, a, as opposed to an external uh, risk factor? Uh, well, certainly premature babies are at higher risk for not necessarily sleep-related deaths, but certainly uh, SIDS-type unexplained death. Uh, but, you know, interestingly enough for us, for our NICU population, we have captive audience. We can re- we model it for them. We reinforce it every day. They've spent a long time getting their baby healthy enough to go home. I feel like the message, we have a lot more touch points, opportunities for families. 
The tough part is the healthy baby that gets inundated with information. But there are, and there's lots of recommendations about SIDS. We've really boiled it down um, to the most important. But cigarette smoking is bad. Room temperature that's high, that if it's too warm, it can cause babies to go into a deeper sleep and fall asleep. Pacifier use is important. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends offering a pacifier after lactation is established for breastfeeding families. To use the pacifier, it prevents them from going into such a deep sleep. Good ones. All good ones. Things that I would definitely have uh, missed the multiple choice question there. Can I hit a big one? Yeah. Um, Alcohol and drug use. So we see often sleep-related deaths in association with a, a caregiver in alcohol and drug use. And I think just being aware of those things it would be not uncommon for a parent to maybe enjoy an adult beverage in a normal setting and maybe feel more tired than normal. But when you introduce an infant into that environment, now you've increased their their risk factor there. But on the flip side of that too, just as we were discussing before the podcast, sleep-related injuries don't follow socioeconomic lines. They do they not. Don't. No, and they and and not everyone is is intoxicated sure. correct not all the parents i mean it can just be a, a tired mom or a dad with yeah. with not a not a, a budweiser to be found in yeah. the in the five mile radius correct, correct. But, I, but being aware i think that that introducing even if it just one drink it does impair your judgment sure. and, it, and it does make you more tired and actually one of the safe sleep video that we show to our parents there's a pediatrician who lost his own child when he fell asleep in a recliner with his baby he was actually a fel- in his fellowship program mm-hmm came home and said, hey, I think I told you this story, Dr. Patrick, but told his wife, you go to sleep. I'm going to watch the kid put the football game on and, and fell asleep on the couch or the co- recliner, mm-hmm. a, a sofa, who knows, and suffocated his child. It was a containment, I think, or was it actually a, an overlaid type of... No, I think it was a containment He's, that he had, whatever the couch or recliner had slipped down off of the dad's chest and onto the space where the baby couldn't breathe. I mean, that, and uh, he, I mean, he was educated more right? than any, any normal person would ever be. I mean, I, I don't remember... I had three children basically uh, before, during, and right after residency as an emergency physician, and I don't remember well a sleep conversation ever being had, and I know that I did all those things with all three of my children. Uh, so, uh, it may, you know, it makes me feel sort of like, like a big dummy from one standpoint, but it also makes the sort of we did it this way so it's okay analogy really, really true in my standpoint. It was like, yeah, I did, but with this information, I know better. I know the impact. And I know that I think one of the biggest things about this discussion from my standpoint is it's relatively simple fix, right? This is not something that requires a, a lot of com- complexity. And in fact, the, the fix is, is probably the, the simplest, right? Mm-hmm. Single, single blanket, you know, flat, hard mattress that, you know, doesn't require a, yeah, a, a, yeah. a $10,000 Tempur-Pedic here, right? <laughs> right? This is, this is the simple stuff is going to, is going to be preventative. And that's always best from our standpoint is when you have to give a patient a big complex pathway to take that's tough but if you say hey just the the simple straightforward mattress not a bunch of complicated crap in the crib that makes yeah. it, it makes it a lot easier you hear the abcs of safe sleep a baby should be alone on their back in a crib abcs it's really that easy uh, as, as not the sharpest knife in the drawer i can even handle that one so that's a good one well and we do have parents say oh they sleep so much better on their stomach. Yeah, they do. And they get into a deep sleep and that's when they stop breathing. So prone, you know, that's why, yes, they do sleep better. We don't want them to sleep that deeply. I think where we can help parents too is, I mean, if anybody that's had a baby, you know, um, you just want to go to sleep. And if they're crying and they stop crying when you bring them in your bed, that's what you're going to do. So, you know, I feel like we don't teach parents coping skills or ways to soothe or comfort their baby. They do what's easiest. It's three o'clock in the morning. If I bring my baby in bed with me, they're going to stop crying. That's what I'm probably going to do unless I know that that's dangerous. So leads me into the next question that you answered 
one of those ways, and that is basically alone in the crib, on their back. Are there other, what are other tips that you give parents to reduce reduce those risks? What are some of the ways that you tactfully sort of guide them? Like, I, I would agree, you know, like when it's three in the morning and I can get the baby to lay beside me and go to sleep. I, I don't know how many times I did that, probably probably a hundred. And I sit here and thankful that my kids are at home probably destroying my house right now, but they're alive to do that. So that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a net positive. What are, what are some of the other tips that you give folks? Well, I think people need to know it's okay if babies cry. I mean, babies have no other way to communicate. If they're overstimulated, if they're tired, if they're hungry, that's, you don't, you know, so I think if you help parents understand that if you go to your baby when they're crying, you feed them, you change their diaper and put them back to sleep. If they cry a little bit, it's okay. And if you have to shut the door so you don't hear them crying, then that, you know, it's okay for babies to cry. I think people just don't want their baby to cry, but that that's part of being a baby. They don't have any other way to communicate. So reassuring people that just because your baby's crying does not mean something's wrong and teaching them to self-soothe and be able to put themselves back to sleep is part of training the baby they have the baby has to learn how to calm themselves and put themselves back to sleep when they wake up in the night so just encouraging parents to and and supporting them and saying it's okay if your baby cries that's really okay that if you've checked all the obvious things they're not hungry their diaper's not dirty put them back to bed i know that's hard to do but but reinforcing to them that that's really okay that's a that's a simple but really tough tough but excellent point to make. I think it's probably a good point for us to wrap up. Is there anything else, Ashton, you'd like to add, Dr. Owens, you'd like to add before we finish up? I think just I'm going to put a shameless pitch in for our uh, Montgomery County Safe Sleep Coalition. Dr. Owens is the chair for that coalition, and um, we have some great community partners that have contributed to that. And we're working with local uh, pediatricians, with organizations that are going to maybe run into some of our families that might not have access to sleep, safe sleep environments, i.e. a crib or a pack and play. So we're really just trying to make that partnership, um, build that partnership. So we are a strong force in this community because we want to see this number go down. 35 in three years is not an acceptable number. And to Dr. Owen's point, like they're 100% of these are preventable. So I think we keep going till the number is zero because that's the only thing that would be acceptable. That's here. that's still, you know, 35 in three years, we're still talking one a month. Yep, right. And that's, like I said, if that was a 12, 12 uh, neonates in a van, we would figure out how to not crash the van, right? Sure. I mean, so I think it needs it needs our attention. Dr. Owens, anything else you'd like to add? Part of our mission in the coalition, I think, is education. I, as a provider of care for infants, did not know how common this was till I learned. And I think when we start telling people, you know what? Every single month, a baby here in this community dies because someone rolls over on them or they get a blanket on their over their face. I think when it is in your community and you realize, hey, this is actually happening and it could happen to me with my baby, that, that may change people's behavior. Are there good resources, and we'll link these in the show notes, that, that you sort of come back to that are your favorites uh, for parents or for medical providers, for pediatricians that you recommend folks use websites or uh, organizations, anything specific there that you'd like to add on? Well, American Academy of Pediatrics has tons of resources for pediatricians. It has all kinds of information. There's links inside there. This There's a big work group inside the academy across the United States of doctors like me that are focused on this issue. So there's plenty of resources there. There's all kinds of safe sleep videos on YouTube. All you have to do is Google safe sleep, and there's a ton of videos that people can watch, all kinds of things. I'm always skeptical of allowing uh, uh, lay folk to access uh, YouTube video because <laughs> there's always good ones sure. and there's always no, bad ones. True. So what I will ask of you after we wrap up here is if you send me a couple you think are 
the the best ones or good ones we'll link those when i talk to patients if my ultimate uh sort of trump card is to lay down the this is what the american academy of pediatrics recommends that's always sort of a you know that's like a the ultimate shield, right? If you can't really argue with it with the American Academy of Pediatrics, that's that's the experts. So we'll we'll gather a couple of those links. That way we can again post those up in the show notes so listeners can take a look. Oh, I had one more plug. I'm gonna interrupt your closing statement no, go there. For it. Um, we're a Cribs for Kids site. So Montgomery County Hospital District, we're Cribs for Kids uh, partner. Uh, we have pack and plays available for families who are in need of a safe sleep environment for their infant. And and with that comes all of those educational resources that Cribs for Kids is vetted through the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, through other safe sleep experts. So we have some educational materials for that as well. So I think we've got a lot of stuff that we could. And I think for your paramedics, that's a great point. If they go into a home environment, they don't see a crib or they ask and there's not a crib, certainly refer them back to that. They can come and get a pack and play. That's amazing. That's for all the MCHD listeners out there. This is, this is good knowledge. And I think rather than we go back to how do you do this tactfully, if you can educate and then offer a solution, that's always, it's golden. That's like icing on the cake, right? You're not just judging, you're providing information and then you help provide a solution when you say, hey, we're a, you know, we're a kids for kids site. We've got outreach coordinators that are experts and come up to the office and, and take a look and we've got resources for you and we've got things we can help you with. I, that, that one's pretty unassailable really from my standpoint because you're just trying to be, to be part of, uh, part of the solution, not just uh, not just chastising folks or judging folks. So well, and certainly people are don't go into this with the intent of harming their child. You know, no no one. You know, so these are people that don't maybe not have resources. The La Leche League is a very strong proponent of bed sharing. So we've got moms that are. Um, there's a very big community here that uses midwives out of hospital births. They support the family bed. So people are getting information from a lot of ways. That's why I think it's important for them to know that I know people are telling you this, but it's really not safe. And we can go back to the facts and the facts aren't, aren't uh, disputable. Really. And they're not hard to remember for the listeners out there. I mean, I'm a huge fan of take home points. I would take home ABCs, mm-hmm. right? Alone back in a crib. I would take home a death per month in this, in this County, in this, in this community. And I would take home the fact that we've got, you know, cribs for kids access right here at MCHD. So take your, take the resources that we link in the show notes. When the medics out there want to provide our patients and our patients, families information, we've got, we've got outlets for it. So I think those, those are our take home points. As always, if you have ideas for future podcasts or questions or concerns, email us at the podcast email. It's a podcast at mchd-tx.org. Thanks for our guests as always, Dr. Owens and Ashton for joining us today. Y'all have been wealth of information for me. I'm smarter having just sat here and listened. And I think you listeners are now as well. Please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It uh, helps get us out there, helps get, get us more visible. And as always, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.